Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. The Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection has been in the news a good bit lately, but we should really know the history of the organization, why some some groups think that it needs some changes, and what is possibly going to happen to the organization going down the road. Uh, My guest today is John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's done a lot of work on how public policy affects our money, our capital, investment, entrepreneurship, etc. So we're going to discuss it from that perspective with him. John, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, Shirley. Well, this is this is going to be very interesting because um, this, this bureau is unlike any other bureau in the federal government. It is kind of an entity unto itself that doesn't even fall under the powers of the president. Am I exaggerating that or is that correct? There is a, a lack of accountability both to the president and to Congress, our elected, our elected leaders. Um, uh, the president, the only control the president has is is uh, appointing the nominee. Once that nominee is there, they serve for uh, five years without, you know, v- being very difficult to uh, to, uh, to to re- to remove. It's uh, one of the few agencies that has as a single a sing- one of the only agencies of this power that has this the single head of director like a ca- like a, has a single head like a cabinet agency uh y- yet is cannot be removed most other agencies are they're either a commission where they serve a fi- serve fixed terms or led by one individual where it's removable by the president well there's the no other there's no other agency or bureau like it right, in the federal right. government yes. correct yeah. Well, it, it really is kind of startling that we have this. But let's go back and, and what was the impetus to start this organization? Um, the impetus was uh, an article by um, Senator Elizabeth, now Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was then a professor at, at Harvard, saying that cons- uh, a couple things. One is that is that consumer there needed to be a single agency to protect uh uh, cons- consumers, rather than it being, uh, you know, at different at the different banking agencies, um, and that uh, if if a product fails con- a consumers, a financial product like a m- different type of mortgage, it should be uh, it should be banned, just like if a toaster, you know, fails fifty um, percent uh, of the time, it, it should be banned. But there's a lot of it, but there is a lot more with a financial product as far as education and how to use it uh, than there than there might be with a toaster or something. Well, like. this is this is such a huge area that this bureau covers or covered. I know there have been changes made uh, since um, the acting director Mulvaney came on board. We'll talk about some of those, but this was established under the Dodd Frank. Act under the early years of the Obama administration. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. And th- at that point, there had been some monumental failures in banking and there was some shaky financial stuff going on. Was that part of the reasoning, the rationale for doing this is, is let's make things more stable? And has it done that? Yes, that was certainly part of the rationale, but it really um, hasn't done this. And it seems, and it who, who it's hurt the most, if you talk to, uh, uh, community bankers and uh, and credit union officials is that is that it's hurt the it's hurt the smaller guys uh, the most according to the groups like the uh, it, uh, 
Independent, Independent Community Bankers of America, the Credit Union National Association. They talk about some of their their costs going up, like uh, uh, total, for, uh, you know, like like say fivefold in some cases. Mm-hmm. Because of compliance, compliance, because of regulations, because of restrictions and what they could do. Is it all that kind of thing? All of all of the above. We've had. Um, I mean, we are still have a pending lawsuit with uh, in, in which our co-plaintiff is the State National Bank of Big Spring, Texas, which had made certainly wasn't the cause of the crisis. They haven't had a foreclosure like in in years or in or in decades. That it was a relationship banking. They knew everybody in the town, but they found some of the rules for the qualified mortgage made by the bureau so complex that they couldn't that they've stopped originating uh, new mortgages. But also some of the issue is that uh, with this with this bank and others is the the pace at which the CFPB and the form that they will issue regulations they will instead of asking for a, a notice and comment um, uh, they they will put something on the internet and they call it a guidance and say this is the way it, it is it has always it has always been that was the case with a mortgage company PHHHS where. In that case, the Department of Housing and Urban Development had been um, in, uh, interpreting the law regarding mortgage insur- insurance. They had followed that interpretation, and they said, and then the the, the CFPB, uh, which is now being called the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, um, came in and said, "Well, you were following it wrong, and not only you know do you have to change your behavior, but you're liable and you're going to get fined for the past ten years that you did this." Under the other agency, and PHH won that, but not every everyone, every small bank and credit they union can't has, go the resu- to, the, has the resources that they do. That's right. They can't they can't afford to go. So so the result of it has been less mortgages, more restrictions, hurting the smaller banks, which are oftentimes the backbone of our little communities around the country, and and making it more restrictive on consumers in terms of what they can get mortgages. Payday loans are also included in this, and we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. So 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 what has happened then is it puts so many restrictions and regulations, according to what you, what the Competitive Enterprise Institute believes, that it really has restricted business and as as it given more powers to the big banks. Would you say? I would say so because we have seen a wave of consolidations, and the big banks have more of a of a market share actually than they did 10 years ago at the beginning which of is, the which financial what, crisis, the mega banks do. Which so, was one of the things that they were trying to avoid is yes, getting all the yes, power out yes. of the hand. So I mean, it's had the adverse effect. Right. Well, well, now, in order to make changes to this this bureau, this has to come through Congress. Is that correct? It's not something that, uh, get, because it was established by Congress and it was set up so that it really doesn't answer to anybody. Um and I remember there was a there was a lot of, of back and forth about the previous director and what was going to happen and so on and, until Mulvaney took over. But the the question that I'm I'm really concerned about is going forward, how does this need to be changed in the view of the Competitive Enterprise Institute and and in your view, how does it need to be changed so that it's making competition greater because i think that's one of the goals that you all would look at um is Certainly. how do you yes how do you how do you really uh, a re not franchise but but repower banks and uh, small banks community banks credit unions etc 
to really move forward under the regulations? How do they need to be changed? So before you answer that, let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest today is John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which is a nonprofit think tank here in Washington, D.C. And we're talking about the, the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection and its issues. So, John, the issue that I proposed beforehand, what do you, what do you think needs to be done or what does the Institute view as changes that need to be made to make this, this organization better? Well, there are some changes that um, can be made by the new leadership and, and have and have been made. I mean, the guidance, the guidances on that were just done on the computer. I mean, if they were done by the old direct uh, uh, by the previous director and not based on the law, they can they can be they can be removed. I mean, rules can be made, can be review, uh, reviewed, reviewed. Um, so and, that and means that are, some yes. of the things that were put into place after it was formed yes. can be removed, right. revised, amended, right. or whatever. Right. Okay. But, the, but the, the, it still has to adhere to the things that are in the law and the law that set it up. And Congress, of, uh, of course, has to change has to change the structure. We like some of the changes that uh, Acting Director Mulvaney has made, and we've endorsed his uh, and we've endorsed uh, the new nominee uh, uh, Kathy Kathy Craninger, Kathleen Craninger. But we still believe that anybody you know needs to be held accountable, so that the the it should either be uh, a commission or a bipartisan commission like the SEC, like the uh, FCC, or uh, it can be headed by one person, but that one person needs to be able to be removed by the president. Right. There and needs to be some oversight. Congress. Yes. Right. Yes. The Congress uh, can have oversight. Right. Too. Yes. Because th- as just to emphasize, this is the only agency in our federal government that's structured this way. It's very yes. unusual. Very unusual. Um, so so the we reforming it or however you want to call it. There have been calls to eliminate it. Are there other agencies that would be doing what it's doing, or how how do you all view whether or not it should be reformed or eliminated? And of course, I doubt that you're going to get it eliminated, but that's beside the point. Well, that's a good point. I mean, there were other agencies doing um, uh, a lot of what the CFPB is doing. It, it took over. According Dodd Frank, shifted responsibility and authority from agencies like the Department of Housing. Uh, and urban development, which covered mortgages, to uh, to the CFPB and the bank, and typically the banking agencies would that handle things like you know capital levels or is the bank running safely uh, would handle would handle things like as far as uh, consumer play, complaints or whether mm-hmm. you know or protecting consumers from fraud, which is a very important function. There is an argument that those are the ones you know to, to have a unified regulator uh, that can that um, handles things like safety and soundness with a bank with consumer protection because they would have the expert the, the financial expertise there over the whole banking system mm-hmm. at th- at this point you know it i think the most important thing to focus on and we think is that if you're going to have this agency it should have you know mechanisms of of accountability as as far as far as its structure mm-hmm. and we believe it's you know that the way it is now also you know exceeds the 
the, the limited places on the president and Congress are are unconstitutional as well. And that's what well, the lawsuit you know, is about. And, and this really is is in some, it's political because it's political. But it but it is goes beyond that, because once you put a director in there and let's say the administration changes and the Democrats come into power, they're going to have to live with if this person is approved as the director, they're going to have to live with that person, whether they like it or not. Now, there's something inherently wrong with that, as far as I can see, because all the other agencies are subjected to the approval of the president, right? They all have to put, submit their resignations when the administration changes, and it's at serving at the pleasure of the president. Well, all of the executive agencies have to have to do that, and the president gets his choice on, on the uh, independent agencies well, the like Federal the Federal Trade FCC Commission, the, the FCC, yes, right, exactly. Uh, do the uh, two. There's different when they're, when they're terms intersect, but this is the— but, Agencies are that means that the agencies they're either checked directly by the president, as in the case of cabinet level mm-hmm. agencies, which include everything from the FCC to the uh, National Security Agency, or the with a with a bipartisan multi member board, they're checked by each other, which no one you know no one gets you know right. the fi- the right. uh, the, fi- the final vote. Whereas this is um uh, um. This is the this is the agency, the only agency, certainly of this of this scope, mm-hmm. where basically the you, you have a head that's, that's really in reality checked by no, by no one, right? That, so and, that, it, and uh, if the administration changes and they don't like what that person's doing, they don't have any power to change it unless they get if they unless right. they control. It's, it's not accountable to voters in the political process. So the, the 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 changes to this have to come from Congress. Is there any motions in Congress to make changes, to make structural changes, to set up some sort of a commission to oversee it as as like Federal Trade Commission and the FCC, Federal Communications Commission? Not as much as you think there would be, particularly because um, if if President uh, President Trump's nominee will likely be she was con- she was uh, approved by the Senate Banking Committee, will likely be approved by the Senate in by the end of the year mm-hmm. she will have a five and we've endorsed her and and she She'll will have, have a five-year five year term it doesn't matter you know if uh if the um who wins an election in the election in 2020 She's stay there. she will serve for the rest of that term so that means that the um the the de- the democrat if 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 the American people were to, you know, we're a non-political group, but if they were elect to elect a Democratic president, he or she would have no control over over, over, the, the, over the CF over right. the person of the CFPB. I suppose if in we some, changed it, they would. They, right. I suppose in some ways this was done to protect the integrity of the organization, so that it's not subject to politics and that it's run. But because it's such an autonomous agency, it. Concerns me as a consumer, let's put it that way, that there's no oversight, that there's no balance, that there's the agency seems to do pretty much what it wants to do without anybody putting putting restrictions on it now with and that's of course is changing but um yes we need to watch the watchdog and we always say regulators themselves have to be subject to regulations regulations need regulators need regulating um i want to come um i want to we're going to take a break in just a minute but i want to come back and talk about some of the things that have gone wrong under this uh, bureau 
such as their lack of accountability for consumer complaints and some of the other things that have that have happened that no matter how it moves forward certainly need to be corrected at least in in my viewpoint that you need to make certain that what when they're reporting this number of complaints that they're accurate etc cetera, etc cetera. but i believe investigators have found that that's not the case so anyway let's just take a brief pause here let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, which um, has been undergoing some, uh, well, a few headlines. Anyway, John, I, I was reading something that said that, that in examining the statistics within the Bureau, that there was real concern that there was not accuracy. There was not accuracy in the reporting of the number of complaints that they'd received. I think there was one instance when it was like one complaint had been counted, let's say, 25 times. I, I can't remember what it was exactly. Can you define that a little bit better for us? I'm not um, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that specific issue, okay. but I know a lot of things are being reviewed by um, uh, acting, acting Director Mulvaney, and I think they will continue by... Uh, uh, if uh, if uh, uh, Kathleen Craniger is 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 confirmed, and things with advisory committees, mm-hmm. um, other things. One of the issues that we and and we've been partially successful in prevailing is there used to be have advisory committees committee meetings with with members of the private sector that were close to the public, and and that was cha- we you know help get that change in a law under the Obama administration that they have to be there have to be open meetings. So uh, well, I I was quoting from something that I saw that according to a former official of the agency, more than a quarter of the complaints registered didn't pan out or were simply incorrect. But yet that would have been counted as the number of complaints that 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 agency was responding to. I'm particularly sensitive to that because I run a consumer agency and we are so aggressive about making sure that what we're reporting is exactly the fact. So it seems to me like there are procedures within the organization that need to be straightened out as well as perhaps structure. I think it, I think it certainly would. I, I, I actually think the two go together because if you make it more accountable to the political process, that can be an issue for both congressional and presidential candidates, that they're the ones who have control. So it's their responsibility to change it. And if, if, uh, if say, if, if voters don't like the way the administration is running it, then they have the chance with the election of Get a new out. administration to, you know, among other issues, have, have, that, uh, have that changed. Okay, so from the standpoint of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, you would like to see a reformation of the organization and some of the structural changes. Would that be what you all see as being necessary to better serve communities? Yes, if we're to going to serve both the industry and consumers, right? Well, consumers need to be need to be protected by, from from fraud and from from deception. If we're going to have a if we decide we're going to have a single agency to do this, that agency must be held accountable to mm-hmm. the uh, to the uh, elected leaders and ultimately the American public. And you can't even control them by budget. Right, right. That this is the thing. They're they're not subject to to the appro- to the appropriations process. That's how Congress exercises a. Uh, oversight for many agencies and they're they're te- technically a bureau under the federal reserve but the federal reserve is, as has ben no bernanke has uh, former fed chair has written has no control over them mm-hmm. either they get a fixed percentage of the dollars the federal reserve sells to be the, the, their 
the the uh, the bureau's budget. I know they have done some good things and that they've gotten back a lot of money for some consumers and then they find industry players that they felt were were doing things wrong whether or not we agree with what those those are not that's beside the point but but they have been very active and they have done a lot of stuff. What would you point to some of the more positive things that have come out of the bureau? I would say being part of the largest fine against Wells Fargo, which um, uh, that started under the previous uh, director, but that was that was uh, that was um, uh, continued by acting director Mulvaney, including the amount of the of the fine. I think it was one of the first billion dollar fi- uh, fi- fines for mm-hmm. an, for an issue for an issue like that. Now that started under the L.A. city city attorney and the previous. CFPB jumped into that at the last minute, but I mean it was a, it was a merited case, and they got that, and that's something going over you know a a big uh, a big institution that was causing a problem and was and oh, was yeah. deceiving consumers with opening exactly. the, the credit card account. Exactly. So yes. Uh, so any other issues? Any other uh, things that you see as particularly noteworthy that they've done? As as far as as far as it relief, relief yeah for indivi- consumers individual consumers mm-hmm. well I mean protecting for that they are still you know they're still there protecting consumers right. from fraud because right. I think I think now that they're concentrating more on the more on that more on that core mission well one of the, the com- yes one of the complaints that I heard from consumers was about the payday loans yes uh, the restrictions that they placed on them made it virtually impossible uh, for consumers and that was not. I know that the payday loans have been slammed in many areas, but don't they meet a need for a certain part of our population? Right. I prefer this. This was broader than than payday loans. It affected many types of small dollar loans, including okay. the payday alternatives um, uh, offered by uh, uh, credit unions and, so, and mm-hmm. some and some community banks. It Congress in writing Dodd Frank, it said, you know. It forbid any type of interest rate cap, and that was under the Democrats. That states can put in, you know, use, usury laws, interest rate caps. The C, the CFPB cannot. So what the under the previous director, the CFPB did is it put in this ability to pay standard, which re- really made made no sense and and was and uh, penalized a lot of you know uh, consumer consumers who needed the credit if consumers. Had the ability to uh, to pay an assured ability to pay, mm-hmm. they would uh, they would have a cre- things like credit cards for short term credits. And right. wouldn't need a uh, wouldn't need a, a payday loan or a small dollar loan. So, um, acting director Mulvaney has delayed that and is is reviewing that. He hasn't he hasn't re- repealed that. But, right. Uh, and if there are the, there are standards that uh, that would bring uh, tr- you know more transparency to to the market, I mean that would be. Uh, for these, but still let consumers decide and you know and and take the risk if they feel that's in their best interest. I mean that would be all of the good. Yeah, we only have a couple of minutes, but does the does the director, whoever is a, is is a confirmed as the director, do they have the power to change some of the internal structure of the organization? They have the power to. I'm I'm not I'm not sure what. When you say internal structure, actually, what I mean you... the way it works, uh, what it's regulating, the impact, change some of the regulations. I know Mulvaney has been doing that. Would that person could continue doing could that? Could continue doing it. Now they would they would need to you do you can't you know simply uh, oftentimes if say well it's interesting if you know the, the, sometimes the uh, the previous un, under the previous director they were so 
creative in the ways they made new rules that affected guidance or new rules. If you put something on the internet, a rule, you can take it off there. But for the things that there actually were notice and comment, you need a notice and comment to to remove so, that. And right. they should we we think, you know, we were supporters of, you know, following the the process from the Administrative Procedures Act. So you can change it, but that has to go through a process as I well. I see. Well that's that's reasonable. Well John, thank you so much for giving us some insight into this organization. It'll be interesting to see how it materializes and what happens with it. Uh, we've been Thank talking- you so much, Shirley. CEI.org oh. is our website. CEI.org, Competitive Enterprise Institute, a nonprofit organization and, and do some very interesting things. So anyway, thank you for joining us. My guest thank has you. been John Burlaw. He's a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. I'm Shirley Rooker. You've been listening to Consuming Interest right here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Thank you for being with us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.